0: What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Adam Brotman. Adam is the CEO of Brightloom, where he and his team are building the first ever digital flywheel technology platform for restaurants. A longtime technology innovator, Adam is passionate about helping brands build meaningful customer relationships through loyalty, mobile technology, and personalized digital engagement. Most recently, Adam was co-CEO, president, and CEO at J. Crew, where he was responsible for launching their first ever loyalty program. Prior to that, he spent a decade in various leadership roles at Starbucks, where he served as Executive Vice President of Global Retail Operations, as well as Chief Digital Officer. He was integral in developing and driving much of the company's best-in-class digital platforms, such as loyalty, mobile apps, mobile payment, mobile ordering, customer data-driven personalized marketing, promoted and social media strategies, and digital partnerships. So much more, and he's also. uh, I guess it's not a new dad, you're a dad of a four year old, which is crazy. So, so happy to see you. Welcome, Adam.
1: Happy to see you too, Sean. I'm happy to be here. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. As I was reading the intro, um, I have to tell you, I'm an early, early mobile orderer on Starbucks, and I'm realizing like this is you know that rich dad, poor dad thing of like. You know, it's not just about making money; it's about saving money, and it almost feels like monopoly money. I'm like, what else do I want? Boop, 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 boop. (laughs) I just order it every morning. That's how
1: we. That's uh, honestly, that's how we designed it to make it feel like uh, between auto reload and everything else, it's just like it's a joke. No, it's a joke. Get what you want. It's 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 always going to be easy for you.
0: It's amazing. And I actually have a suggestion. I'm sure you know who to give it to, to get it to the right person. Cause I have an idea that I've been like, Oh, I should have called you about it. So I'm going to tell you about it. But first I'm going to um, do rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm curious. Are you an introvert or extrovert? I'm, you know,
1: I, I'm an introvert that acts like an extrovert is what I yeah,
0: say. I get it. What is something that you would be willing to get up really early for?
1: Um a uh, a seahawk game um, uh, you know uh, it's, it, it, i love uh, exciting trip those kind of things you know
0: yeah yeah totally well are you an early person or a nighttime person i'm an
1: early i'm an early oh
0: person. so that's an easy question for you i'm not an early morning person so i'm like um yeah it would probably yeah. have to be something like for me culture. like if
1: it, if it's got if it's 4:30 or something that's yeah. early thing, yeah.
0: yeah no way Okay, so what is the best thing that you have read, seen, or listened to over the past year?
1: Uh, Queen's Gambit.
0: Oh, so good.
1: Queen's Gambit, yeah. I that binged
0: was, that so me fast. Too.
1: Me too. Oh, I yeah. was, it was one of those things where I was like, and this happens with a good book or a good movie or a good series on online where you just you just thank God. Like, I can't believe this thing exists. I'm, I am just don't want it to end. I want to Savor every minute of it. So yeah. I Queen's Gambit was that good.
0: Yeah, I agree. What are three words that people would use to describe you? You
1: know, uh, passionate, um, uh, hardworking, and uh,
0: nice. I like that. Um, what is your biggest regret? That's like a bomb. <laughs> My <laughs> biggest like... regret? Wow. Uh, I mean, it's a tough one. I. I my biggest regret is
1: that I, I, I loved my company that I founded after being a lawyer, but I, I wish I had been more patient either in staying with being a lawyer for a little bit longer or I man, I think about it all the time. Like if I was gonna fall in love with digital, why didn't I go work for Amazon in nineteen ninety-eight when I left my law practice? Uh Did
0: you have a job offer there or did you not know about it?
1: No, 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 no. I didn't. No, I didn't. I know I quit my law practice and wrote a business plan and started Play Network Yeah, because that's just in my genes. And I like to build things, but I, if I, I should have listened to my uncle, Jeff Rotman, who was my mentor, like a second father to me. And, you know, he, you know, he told me that he was irritated with me and, and as my mentor. And I, my biggest regret at that time was not listening to him more. And I think I, I think I basically never, I think I, I listened to him every time after that. Um, yeah. And it served me well, but I, I should have listened to him then when he told me to be more patient.
0: Yeah. So you think Amazon because of like, obviously the value of the equity now, or because of what you would have learned or to be just on that rocket ship?
1: All the above, but less the money part. I mean, trust me, you of course you can't not Think about like what would have happened, but who knows what if I, you know, if I had gone to work night yeah. I, I might've been in the mail room or something. Right. So who yeah. knows what kind of options I would have gotten. It was more of just, it's just, and this is one of the things I like to tell other people is like, understand what, what fuels you understand yeah. what your passion is, understand like what, what you would just do for free all day. And the time would just go by anyways. And, and then it's not just go do that. It's actually go learn that. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest thing is like, go get in that space and go learn it um, because yeah. and master that craft. And I, that's what I regret. I regret there was, I could have, Amazon would have been an amazing place where if I would have wanted to work hard and learn, uh, and given that I'm so passionate about digital in every respect, that it would have, I probably would have done really well there
0: well they would have been lucky and i'm sure if you had started in the mailroom you would have crushed it and like gone quickly (laughs) up you would have ended up uh in the c-suite at some point i'm sure um so what would we be what would our listeners or what would i be surprised to learn about you
1: be surprised to
0: learn like do you have some Uh, hidden skill or some like crazy story i am
1: i am you'd be surprised to know that i am i'm pretty good at Fortnite on my on my Mm -hmm. cell phone
0: really you yeah. and all the rest of the kids hopefully it's not yeah. a distraction
1: <laughs> no it's actually like you know <laughs> it's right now i can't i can't afford for, as a father of a 4 year old and the ceo of a startup i can't go play golf for 5 hours yeah. really. um but i can sneak in what's great about fortnite is fortnite is there is these 15 minute matches Oh, okay. You win, it's 15 minutes. You lose, it can be one minute. But, like,
0: that's so good for me to know because my son will, when he was playing a lot, would be like, hold on, hold on, I'm in a battle. Hold on. Oh, yeah. And I so, mean, and in my mind, I'd be like, oh, how much longer? It's good to know it's just 15 minutes,
1: 15 minutes max. And, but the thing is, it's like, it's your son was right. Like, you're immersed in it. And by the way, your son was probably kicking my butt. Uh, <laughs> and, I, every time I, and, I, and every time I lose, I'm like, I probably just got I some 12 year old boy or girl yeah would probably, just beat, me. probably
0: like, just beat you yeah
1: yeah but so but then but it's but it's it's you know you'd be surprised like what do i do when i need to like just get a break and get a moment to myself between being a dad and being a uh, husband and a father and a friend and a son and a brother like there's sometimes you just need like can i just Check have out. yeah i did and then, I probably can't afford more than 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. So.
0: Well, it's good. It's, you found your thing. I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. Other people are meditating. You're playing Fortnite. I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm kidding. But it's a form so, of meditation. <laughs> so I'm assuming now, cause you mentioned Jeff Brotman as your kind of mentor, but, um, yeah. who, who is your biggest kind of hero or who did you go to when you just need like advice?
1: Well, my dad, my dad and my uncle, even my mom. So it's interesting. I obviously, you know, I I was close. I'm close with my mom and my dad uh, uh, and I was close with my uncle Jeff and they, those three, you know, in different ways. I mean, Jeff was uniquely able to sort of relate to things I was going through because I was always trying to like follow in his footsteps or build a company and dealing with like venture capital and private equity and trying to build Uh, you know, using him as a sort of a a marker in a way. And so he was Mm -hmm. an ultimate person that could at least relate to things and give me advice. And so I, I, that's who I would go to.
0: Yeah. Well, the cool part about him too, that people who might just know about Costco and know of him in that kind of spotlight way, might not know. I mean, growing up as family friends, like he had a lot of ups and downs and he probably, and so many teachings and so many, and he just kept kind of getting right back up and getting right back on the horse. And yeah, yeah, I love that about him. Like he just always had that positive outlook.
1: He did. And he, that's right. He, he, you know, his journey in his lessons and, you know, he was, he was on, he's been on, he was on the board of Starbucks. He, he's, He's in other words, he's done more than just Costco, and he's he's failed and succeeded at more than just things that you would think. And and he also was an important person to help shape my morals and my um you know along with my mom and dad to to um to help me think about like the importance of giving back to the community, of doing the right thing in any situation. These are these are just lessons that I when I think of Jeff and my parents, but you know he he. he, and they actually relate to one another, right? You know, being—they're yeah. not mutually exclusive. And that's something he taught me: is that
0: yeah, it's all connected.
1: Yeah, doing the right thing is part of what makes you successful in business. Not you don't—you don't do it despite being successful, or vice versa. Yeah,
0: totally. I love that. So, um, you know, obviously we've known each other a long time. We're both Seattleites and grew up together. Um, but tell me a little bit more about your childhood. Like when you were little, I know you—you um, you said Seahawks. You're probably avid sports fan yeah but were you always thinking kind of um along the lines of business or was there ever a consideration of like going a completely different route
1: uh it's interesting because i i had a fairly unremarkable childhood uh as how i would describe it like i i mean it was i was very lucky i had a great childhood uh you know got to go to like camps and had friends and had, you know, attentive, loving, you know, parents. It's so, like, I had, I had a lot of benefits uh, and privileges. Um, but in terms of like, what did I do with all that? Not a lot. I mean, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, you know, I'd be like, come on, man. Like, you should be applying yourself harder. You should be, um, doing some other things and you know so i did fine but i just sort of like you know i would say it wasn't about like oh did i always know did i you know you know i know your brother your brother um is someone who i in fact would say sticks out in my mind to someone who was like remarkably uh entrepreneurial and business oriented at a very early age doing like you know you know, watching people's cars and boats and just having all, you just, just incredible. Like, I didn't do that. And I, I so.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you into I, school? Like, were you a good student? I was a good student, but not, not off the charts, you know? Yeah. Got, this is nothing. like my, I beg my kids to listen, not necessarily to my podcast, but podcasts yeah. where you learn to the people that are successful who are looking back going, why didn't I not just apply myself, but take that gift of learning.
1: Yeah. Of it's, like it's, genuinely
0: it's, engaging in learning.
1: Yeah, Shauna, I'll, I'll I'll pull the thread on it a little bit all the way through law school because that's really where the story ends and where it kind of changes, which is that, you know, so at Mercer Island High School in the Seattle area, uh, you know, my grades were, I can't even remember what my grades were. They were good enough and probably, you know, mostly an A average, but not like top of my class or anything close to that. So it was like, I didn't get into, I couldn't have gotten into an Ivy League. In fact, I didn't, I, I, Got into UCLA, but did not get into Berkeley. So again, it kind of gives you a sense if you want to get a sense of where I was at. Like I could UCLA was a very hard school to get into, don't get me wrong. Very hard, yeah. But but wasn't the same as like an Ivy League school or something. So it was, yeah. I was sort of good enough to go to a UCLA, thank God, but uh, but not good enough to do better. And I, you know, then and then same thing happened at UCLA. Did you know my college experience was I I would describe it as fairly unremarkable. I didn't join a fraternity. I wish I did, just from a a social yeah yeah development perspective and like learning about the importance of like relationships and friendships and networking which would have served me well and just in, in life but i instead i same thing like i had a good time i had a lot of great friends um i did well enough in school that i could get into a law a good law school at university of washington law school but but you know you wouldn't have you wouldn't have looked back and said oh, wow, I want to buy stock in this guy, you know? Uh, well,
0: I get it. This is why this is so interesting to me when I talk to people, because I'm like, was there a moment of growth or a moment where you're like, I better get my shit together? Or I mean, yeah. you weren't off track, but I'm just curious when That's you right. were like, I'm starting to feel like I have That's, something special. I'll tell
1: you, yeah, Shauna, I'll tell you that moment for me is, was at law school. And um, I remember, I don't know what happened. I just decided I better, like, I loved law school, by the way, I, it turned me on like the, the intellectual stimulation of it. And I, and I also just was at a time in my life where I got my own apartment across the street from the law school. I must, and I remember I decided like, let's just try for once to like hit a home run at something. And I just, and I, I, I studied as hard as I've ever studied. and I applied myself as hard as i ever studied. And, and I did really well in law school. Like, editor of the law review, winner of the moot court competition, top of my, you know, there was like four or five of us that were, you know, they didn't actually rank you other than the top, I think, five people. They said, you guys are all the top five. So like, it was top. And it wasn't about like the grades and all that stuff. It was actually when I remember the professors were saying to me, Wow! Like, like, what's up with you? Like, what's going on? And I'm, and I, I never had gotten that feedback in my life on yeah. anything. And I, so it was a combination of like succeeding and even getting that recognition. And I, I remember one of the professors even said something like, "All right, you know, every once in a while, I, you come across someone who's just got a spark, and you know they're going to do great things." And she said this in front of our whole class about me. And I, oh, ne- that's
0: amazing. I've
1: never gotten that feedback. And to your point, like I. But it was, I was feeling it too, meaning I was, I mean, this is true of anybody, because at that point you're talking about law school, like it's no longer just generic school. It's, okay, this is sort of a form of a, a trade school in a sense, although they would hate to say it.
0: Well, yeah, but it's also expensive, so you better make it count. <laughs>
1: yeah, and just like, you know, you're in the level of, of the, 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 everyone that was at that law school, and I mean this, was smarter than me and better than me in a lot of ways. So like, in other words, it was intense competition, and camaraderie and of people who are intellectually amazing and, and had done better than me in every respect. And so the fact that I was able to hold my own and apply myself and feel that, like that was my moment where I would say, oh, wow, like maybe I actually am, capable of things I didn't realize I was capable of. And that, that was the first time that was, you know, probably. And
0: you believed it inside, but I do think it's important to note that this professor, this person that said that to you is so powerful. The words that people say to you are so powerful. And sometimes when I'm talking to my kids or other people's kids, or there's teachers around, you realize, um, you know, we had dinner with a friend who said that, he had a teacher that in front of him told his parents that he would never amount to anything. Jeez. Like basically, I'm like who says that? But, you know, the teacher, the teacher gave him doubt. And you talk about my brother. My brother was very entrepreneurial, but, you know, I was more of the student and he was more like did what he had to do to get by. Right. And so in his mind, he was not as smart and it's just crazy cuz i'm like you're the one he can do math i mean he does like numbers in his head so fast right. but we just had a different skill set and a different ability to focus i guess
1: yeah no i agree i i think your example and mine just go to show that it's it's there's not like some defined scale about yeah. how you should sort of measure yourself and think about things you you should really the honest truth is we we all have our sort of unique abilities and our passions and our capability sets. And, and, you know, it is, it, but a lot of it has to do with you do have to apply yourself. Like
0: you do have to apply I, yourself. I really yeah. feel
1: like, you know, even in that Queens gambit, one of the things I think I got sucked in by that movie was how the character in the movie just kept going back. For those that haven't seen it, I won't, I won't spoil it, but the point is it's about this young girl that has a, a lot of challenges and she applies herself, she loves she finds out that she loves chess and she applies herself at like ten years old or whatever it was. Yeah. to learning chess from someone who frankly to our point of our conversation saw something in her that was special. And yeah that, that that's why I get goosebumps even talking about it with that movie because I felt like not about me, but I just felt like I love that topic of like just you know figuring out that everybody those stories.
0: Know. It's like Rudy, <laughs> the movie yeah. Rudy. Yeah, like the person it, you're just like rooting them on. It's so yeah. funny. So you practiced law, Heller Ehrman, great yes. great firm. Yeah. Um, also super competitive. I think they were a client of mine, in, when I was in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so were, I know it's a really competitive law firm. And what kind of what, law were you practicing? Corporate
1: business law. Okay. You know, and, and and
0: at what point were you like, hey, I'd like to apply this in the business world?
1: You know, it was. Um, I would say that within, within real quick, within like six months. I was, I remember we, our office was up in the Columbia uh, Center uh, skyscraper on the 60th floor. And here I was this sort of, you know, young junior associate looking looking at the view of the Puget Sound and you know, had a big mahogany desk and I had the title of lawyer and JD and passed the bar. And, but I was not happy. I was like, I was, it was not, Unlike law school, it wasn't stimulating to me. Like I felt like all I'm doing is like, you know, moving papers around and doing stuff. And I kept thinking like everything's happening down there. That's when I realized I wanted to build things. I wanted to like that. That's I could tell I had this urge to build things. And so what happened is um, I was approached by a potential client who actually couldn't afford to hire me. But had had basically built a prototype of an MP3 player, uh, mu- digital music I player.
0: remember this when he did this.
1: Yeah. And he basically approached me and said, I got this prototype of this d- digital player. And I think it could be really disruptive in the business space. Like he wasn't even thinking about consumer. He's like, look, we could disrupt all these players like Muzak and all these people that were providing piped in music to retailers and restaurants and... He's like, look at this. And I remember like, I got, I, it was magical. It was all digital based. And it was like, it was powered by a database that would actually feed the music and the songs and instructions of the songs to this player and the player would play back the music at the stores and restaurants. And essentially it was a prototype of what we would today call an iPod and, or a prototype of iTunes and or Spotify. But I didn't know that those things didn't exist yet. I just, right. I saw the future and I was like, I immediately started, he's like, I, I can't afford to hire you to help me write a business plan or think about what I should do here. But I know I, I just need a corporate lawyer to help me. I don't know why he thought he needed a corporate lawyer, but the point is he <laughs> had it. Fate had it that he got, he found me. And I just, you know, literally- Was my, he
0: more of a technologist and you would be more of the operator of the business? Correct.
1: Yeah. Okay. He was the, like, so basically it was the equivalent of like, he would be like the chief technology officer and I was yeah. like the CEO. And so he, he basically was like, I don't know how to build a business or run a business or even think about any of this stuff, but what do you think of this and what should I do? And I'm like, well, you need to write a business plan. And, you need, and it was basically, and I, I, I spent my nights and weekends for the next couple months as a lawyer, writing the business plan for Play yeah. Network. And, and how
0: about the fundraising? How did you guys go about that?
1: well I just did it I mean I quit my law practice and joined full-time actually my uncle and my dad wrote the first checks while I was still a lawyer when my uncle was you know through gritted teeth he was like I'll do it but I don't think you should I don't think you should do this like I don't think I think it's too soon for you to be like and I was following every this is the advice I was telling you I wish I had followed earlier in the podcast like I I feel like you know because he was saying he was right he was absolutely right he's like you haven't thought this through well enough. You have a good business plan, but, and this is really interesting technology. You're right. But you haven't thought this through enough. And if you want to go into digital, then think about getting a job somewhere. This was his advice to me. Like think, or, you know, or he liked the idea of starting a company. He wasn't just, he wasn't dismissive of being an entrepreneur, but he was like, it's too early. You haven't analyzed the market enough, et cetera. So it, it, it was good advice. I didn't listen to it. And he wrote a check. He and my dad wrote a, check to enough money that i could actually afford to quit my law practice but yeah not enough money to build the company i'm talking about like
0: yeah just enough money to like feel so like 100
1: grand total so yeah. like 100 grand was enough that like okay there's enough money in the bank that like i can take a small paycheck and um pay my my rent at my apartment and because uh, i didn't own a house back then yeah I, I can i can live but it wasn't enough and i had to go raise money from angels and eventually venture capitalists
0: and how much did you, I mean, I don't know actually the story. I just remember the product. And I remember being like, hey, Adam's building this cool thing. I actually think we even looked at it because we were doing investing. I just remember that there was yeah. this exciting thing. But I don't know the story of,
1: yeah, we raised, did it have a
0: happy ending? Like, I don't know any of that. Yeah,
1: I did. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, so it, it was interesting. We raised a million dollars. We set out, after we raised the initial seed capital for my dad and my uncle, we went to go raise a million dollars of angel funding. it was like, okay, well, that's enough to like, that's enough that I can physically quit my law practice, which everyone thought I was crazy to do, including my uncle and like start this company. But it wasn't enough to actually start building the company. So we like, we got to raise an initial million dollars. And so we can start building real product and trying to build a business and um, hiring people. And we raised a million dollars from angels around town in Seattle. One of whom would have been Howard Schultz, but Howard uh, he he actually would have, he said he would have written a check as one of our angel investors and we got a bunch of angel investors, but he actually, Howard, uh, saw the prototype and saw the sort of the glimmer in my eye about it and said, yeah, this is really interesting. I, I don't know why isn't Starbucks using this. At the time, Starbucks had about 1,200 locations and was using another company that was using this really inferior non-digital technology. And... Howard was like, I'm frustrated that we're not being innovative enough in this area. This is really innovative. Like you choose, I'll either be an angel investor or a client, potential client. I'm like, I'd love love you to be a potential client. This is, remember. You're like, how
0: about both?
1: Yeah, well, no. Because
0: his name attached to it is also, I mean, as angels, like that's helpful to be like, oh, this one's behind it. That one's behind it. Well, it
1: would have been great, but you know, I think I, I had, I, I realized that we need, having Starbucks as a customer would would have been the ultimate Absolutely. And and they had about a thousand locations at the time, you know, now they have over 34,000 locations, but they had about a thousand locations at the time and they were public, but they were still not, they weren't the Starbucks. I mean, they were huge, but they weren't like global and yeah. And yeah. And they weren't global yet other than I think they had a couple of locations in Japan and, and, and Vancouver, British Columbia and the, um, and so that's what happened. Is we, we said we kind of bet the company on getting the Starbucks deal done, and we raised a million. We did raise a million dollars of angel financing without having the Starbucks deal done, without having anything. I don't know how we did it, but we did. I think through just my pure passion and excitement and stuff, and and vision, and we got a million dollars of angel money in, and we. But then we did get Starbucks signed, and that so awesome that led to getting a venture capital round down, and we raised. We ended up raising a grand while I was there. You know, I was there for about nine years. We 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 built the company up. We raised about twenty million dollars in, in in venture and angel, and we got to close to a fifty million dollar revenue run rate and profitable. When I decided, like, let's just go do some other stuff in life. So that's yeah,
0: great. that's a great that's a great outcome. I yeah. mean, just based on the um, statistics around startups. It's like 90% fail or something. I don't know what the number is, but it's something like, you know, your odds are pretty low. So I can understand why Jeff was like, Hey, yo, like go learn this and then do it. Just, just increases your odds of being successful. So I think you were very successful and it sounds yeah. like it.
1: Yeah. So how did you,
0: how did you decide these next couple of things? I know you were at Corbis, Barefoot Yoga. I don't know about these companies.
1: Yeah. The, the, the quick version of what happened then is I, I gave one year notice to my own company, my own board, which I was chairman and CEO of, to say, I'm gonna go do something else in my life. I was 36, I wanted to go to something bigger. I was introduced to Bill Gates through the CEO of a company that he, um, Bill Gates owned called Corbis. And it was not consumer, but it was, it was a bigger, more interesting digital media company that provided image licenses to uh, businesses and creatives. And, um, and that was a cool, you know, it it had an e-commerce sort of interface. It was about, it was almost like the, 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 the the digital image version of what play network was on a bigger scale. And I got introduced to the, you know, they had, they were going through a CEO transition and the new CEO and the outgoing CEO both got to know me and brought me in. And I was totally seduced by the fact that I could meet with Bill Gates every (laughs) month. Uh, because he was another one of my heroes along with Howard and my uncle and everybody else that, you know, of of our generation. And so I took the job as, you know, basically like in today's terms, I would have been the chief experience officer or something like that at that company. Yeah, Um, Meaning I was in charge of like marketing and new innovation and new ventures and the, the customer facing designs and all that stuff. And it was, it was a great opportunity. And at that company, I, I met the, this, a, a guy named Steven Gillette, who is a very close friend of mine now. And he, uh, but he was being hired as a CIO at the same time that I was being hired as like the equivalent of like a CXO. Yeah. And, and he's amazing. He came from Silicon Valley. And he and I hit it off. Um, and, the, and he ended up, we were both together kind of helping Corbis do what it was doing. In in building that company up. And, but it was like, you know, hundred percent owned by Bill Gates. It wasn't like there's was any stock really or whatever. And Stephen Gillette left Corbis to go work as a CIO at Starbucks. And, and ah. at that time he did that. I left to go try and pull off an entrepreneurial venture of creating a health and wellness e-commerce company, which is nuts to try and do in in October of two thousand eight, but I, I was going to try and do that. Um,
0: I feel like that's just everywhere right now. I mean that that area is just exploding in the digital yeah. space.
1: Well, it was, the idea was I had this idea, and I wanted to. Um, my uh, my cousin had started barefoot yoga, and I wanted to sort of use barefoot yoga as sort of a a, a core element of what we would do to. Um, to go build this health and wellness company. Long story short there though is like, as I was sort of putting that together and I quit my job at Corvus and I was the CEO of this little e-commerce yoga company that was gonna be the beginning of this big health and wellness e-commerce vision I had, Stephen Gillette and Howard Schultz essentially combined kind of called me up. I mean, it was really, Stephen was like, hey, Howard and I have been talking, you know, Steven's now the CIO of Starbucks having this conversation with me saying, you know, come back get, get, come over to Starbucks. Like we need to develop a digital strategy. Howard has got the, he's bringing, kind of putting the band back together a little bit. And because he had, he had left as CEO and came back as CEO and, and they offered me the job of head of digital to work with Steven and the, and the team. And it, you know, it was, I was like, I'm not, I'm going to do this. Like, this sounds Did great.
0: you feel any sort of like, I mean, You've obviously got incredible experience, but it, was there ever a part of you that's like had some sort of like imposter syndrome, like how did I get in this room? Or were you like, hey, I know digital and I'm uniquely qualified for this? Because that's a huge undertaking.
1: Well, first of all, I have imposter syndrome all the time, still do. But the but the but at the time, the answer is it was less about that because there was no digit there wasn't much going on digitally there. So they in a weird way. It was, it was like, Hey, we should be, they had a Facebook page and uh, a website and a plastic gift card. And, and so they, they knew they, they being Starbucks, and they had some, ta- a lot of talented people there um, doing, working in digital, but they just, they were doing, they were doing more things with digital marketing, not some other things. And I had the, so I was able to come in when, there was a need to transform digital, to yeah. build up digital. So, Did you
0: have to like interview for the job? Like what were the kinds of questions that they're <laughs> using to vet you for this type of job? Because all the stuff that you touched is so innovative. I mean, like you could, to me, like I understand most people have some form of imposter syndrome, but to me you could be like, drop the mic. I, I mean, Starbucks is so ahead of the curve digitally. Like I want every company. I'm like, why isn't everybody as efficient as Starbucks?
1: Oh, that's so nice of you to say that, but no, I, I, I was, um, I, again, it was, I, I had the benefit of the fact that I was an, I was personally a known quantity to some at Starbucks, including the leadership. And then of course, Stephen Gillette, because he had been my peer and my partner at Corbis, So I was lucky that I was being brought in to a company that sort of knew me a little, oh, bit. not yeah. entirely, not entirely, but enough, right. Enough that, yeah. like, and, and also I remember when I started at Starbucks, and this would be an interesting lesson or whatever for people thinking about their career journeys. I actually went, you know, I started out as vice president of digital was my title or whatever. So it was like, I had been a CEO and whatever, and I had been an EVP, but I needed to have a moment of in, investing in myself. I had to have a moment where they, they were gonna believe in me, I had to believe in myself, but I wasn't being given, like I was an independent, I was an individual contributor vice president at a fortune 200 company with a huge remit but not a not a team and it was a little bit of like adam i was being told by everybody we need to we need we're giving you a big remit but we're also um you know if you're not able to like come up with the right answers or be successful you're not going to get a team and yeah. this isn't going to go anywhere so i was like well, let's go and it was very entrepreneurial if you think about it it's like go build totally. a engine and build a team just it's like, just like I almost got the found, I almost became like a founder of Starbucks.
0: Totally, you're like an entrepreneur, So yeah, you're, that's you're right. in there. Yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. amazing. So I need to tell you before I forget about my idea that I'm like they have to be working on this um, because I do the ordering constantly and I know Layla's order, Jordan's order, my kids, but I also grab coffees for my girlfriends and I have those now in my contacts, what they like because I just want them in my Starbucks order to put Rachel, Hada, Jessica. Like totally. I want, I want their names idea. next no, to their orders.
1: I know what you mean. Like I would love, because I have to kind of scan through the- Right, I'd be like, oh wait, he just wants
0: one espresso yeah. shot, yeah. and this one likes like extra foam. And- I mean,
1: you yeah, the way you do it now is you, you save them, right, as a favorite or you're, you're there. But I don't
0: know people. whose favorite it is. I have so many in there.
1: I know. I know. And That's I get great copies place.
0: for people all the time. I'm like, We're why can't I just want to be able to like
1: quickly do a search by name and yeah, tag it with a name. Please That's tell good.
0: somebody. I literally am like, this has been like bugging me for like six months.
1: I will I will pass that along.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I know you still got the end, so just make it happen. I will. Um, so I'm super curious because I mean, you're talking about you know, regrets around Amazon. And I don't know if you've had any exposure to Jeff Bezos. Um, I have not. But people talk about being kind of Jeff ready when you go into a meeting and how you prepare for a meeting with him. Right. Same thing with Bill Gates. Um, yes. And, and I, I haven't heard as much of that type of way of speaking about Howard Schultz. But I am curious if there's, if you're stylistically like, hey, I'm Adam through and through, this is how I roll at work. Or if you find that you have to adjust your style to I guess the CEO that you're meeting with
1: um I should adjust more than I do and not not because I'm being stubborn or I'm think highly of myself but I just have one speed yeah And you're seeing it on this podcast but this is how I lead this is how I manage and this is how I present um I try and be conversational authentic and transparent and I try to be excited and excitable.
0: Yeah, I love that. But, you know, when you hear about being like Bill Reddy, um, you know, yeah. going in and you, you better know your stuff because he's smarter and one step ahead of everybody. Yeah, and right. people have said, like, you don't want to get caught on your heels in a meeting with him or, or not have yeah. the answer or right. not be transparent that you don't have the answer.
1: Um, that's a true statement. So I have presented to Bill Gates. It's been a while, but many times when I was at Corbis and everything you just said is true. He yeah. was he, and you learn to adjust your style. Let me get. And by the way, Howard's Howard's very different from Bill. And I've never presented Jeff, but they what they have in common is you. And I could get into the nuances, of the differences, but you have to know your stuff. Like you, you cannot. You have to be Howard ready as much as you got to be Bill ready, and I'm sure Jeff ready. Like you, these are these are icon iconoclastic. Whatever the word is, like yeah, in their area, and you don't. You're not going to get a lot. Their, their time is incredibly precious. Um, you know, with the difference is that with Howard, he was just Howard is incredibly smart, and you needed to know your stuff. But he knew more about what he was doing than anyone on the planet in in his area. And he wasn't the differences with Bill. Bill could like Bill wanted to and could get up to speed on any topic like a computer like very quickly. Like he he was like a form of like, you know, like IBM's Watson or AI. Or something. He was <laughs> I've heard that
0: it's from so was, many people. He, yeah. He was, and a lot like of F-bombs thrown around. I've heard. Yeah.
1: A lot of F-bombs, a lot of F-bombs. And I would write down notes, of like he'd say something with an F-bomb in it that was like the most brilliant thing I'd ever heard, but also with an F-bomb in there. So like it made, it. The, it made the statement incredible. But I'd say that the, um, you, the, it was different though. Like you needed to know your stuff. And, but what I loved about, so so the bill stuff was sort of fascinating you need to be prepared to spar with him you needed to be you needed to have all your facts down he was going to suck up the the knowledge that you had just spent three months working on and he will suck it up in five minutes and be smarter about the topic than you are and that happened a lot with bill but the the difference is like with howard he knew his stuff but he but he was looking less to like spar with you or like have some academic conversation, Howard is all about like vision and entrepreneurial energy and like getting people to accomplish more than they thought was possible to accomplish. And so for for Howard, it was, what was amazing is you better come into a meeting with a pretty clear vision of what you yeah. want to accomplish, right?
0: Yeah, I love that. And so what did you learn as far as um, culture? Because I've never worked at Starbucks, but obviously in recruiting, we see candidates come and go out of Starbucks, into Starbucks. And is there a common thread among people that are successful there?
1: Yeah, I would say um, yes. Starbucks is, the culture at Starbucks was, I mean, I haven't been there in a few years, but definitely was and probably still is fueled on um, the ability to to have great relationships and to understand how to navigate relationships to accomplish things. So, yeah. um, that I feel like the culture at Starbucks is about, um, you know, showing up for they call employees and Starbucks partners. And yeah. And even they, the,
0: even the people that are, um, the baristas, baristas right?
1: partners. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you work for Starbucks, you are called a partner. And I love it, that it started out because Howard and the team gave Health insurance and stock options to every employee, including part-time baristas. And that they they basically put their money where their mouth was and said, you are our partner, as much as anybody would be a partner. And that means shared ownership and benefits and treatment. And um, and that's 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 embedded into the culture of Starbucks. And that's what I mean. So when you think about like what makes a successful leader at Starbucks, either because Starbucks made them a successful leader or you, it, you know, there's a good match of culture to personality. It's, it's a, it's going to be a leader that under, that doesn't, isn't overly political. Isn't, it's not all about like trying to be the smartest person in the room. Or take
0: credit to, and weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Get, give credit. Yeah. Help other people win. Um, understand people's personalities, have high EQ. These are all, yeah. these are all traits that I think are embedded in the Starbucks culture. And it, you know, you, would, you wouldn't expect something different from Starbucks, like, what you see is what you get. Like yeah, you I love Starbucks.
0: Starbucks. You yeah. go to
1: a Starbucks and, you know, the whole company is based on the idea that the barista partner will know you and care about you and want to nourish you in some sense and inspire you. And, like, that's what yeah. the brand's about. And so it's a very, it's a people-driven culture.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And I love the story of origin of the company. Just like who would have thought that this could have become what it became because people are like, oh, no, no. People just want like a 90 cent, like stupid little coffee. They're not going to pay $3 or whatever for a coffee. And they don't want to sit down, but they do. Right. They want to sit and have that social experience. Um, right. So I'm curious, like as you've now, obviously you're running your own company. Um I'm curious what types of things you've taken from the experiences you've had in the past and kind of woven into the type of culture you're trying to create and um, the type of people that you want to surround yourself with, just all of it. Because you've gotten this incredible, incredible experience.
1: Yeah, you know, it's been, Bright Loom used to be called ITSA and it's it's interesting because what I didn't anticipate enough and didn't think through enough a little bit was when I got to, when I took over ItSA, we, we did a combination of things. ItITSA had been a restaurant company that had built its own technology and it was really cool technology, these cubbies and these digital ordering stations. it was like this really futuristic tech-oriented restaurant concept that it didn't work as a, it didn't end up making it or work as a restaurant concept. And then they tried to pivot into being a restaurant technology company using the technology they had built for themselves to maybe offer to other restaurants. And they were, they were struggling to do that or trying to do that right at the time I came in a little over a year ago. And mm-hmm. and the I was brought in by the chairman of the company uh, who was a venture capital guy who's great, a guy named John Shulkin who um, is at Valor Capital. And he had been putting together a, a venture capital fund with Kevin Johnson and Starbucks.
0: And, ah, and yeah. so
1: that was the connection is that he was, they were gonna, Starbucks and ITSA were Thinking about doing something together using kind of Starbucks ideas around technology and Eats's platform, and I came in, and I I was excited about the idea of like being able to kind of imprint myself and my ideas and my thoughts on the culture of the company. I was excited to be a CEO again, and I I didn't I don't think I I, I didn't do enough thinking about like wait a minute, there's already a company here that has a culture and yes they they've had some struggles but they did some cool things and they have they've been around for five years and like i underestimated the fact that i i would need to come in and um i'll call it try to transform a culture or or imprint myself on an existing culture it wasn't like it was a blank slate and i yeah it
0: wasn't like hey i've just got this open canvas and i'll just no
1: no and i probably should have done a better job frankly of of Being, I'll call it. um, I I should have done a better job initially of understanding. Like, wait a minute, this isn't about just like creating a culture from whole cloth. This is, I'm I'm having to sort of
0: bring people along. Yeah, and 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 yeah,
1: I I tried my best to do that, and I feel like um, we eventually have gotten some some of the way there. But like that was sort of an initial thing because we had we ended up deciding to like not pursue the businesses that Itza had been pursuing even in its pivoted restaurant technology services company. And we decided to focus on customer data and how customer data could help brands do a better, more effective job of marketing in a personalized way. And that that's something that Starbucks is very good at. And you know that yeah. you get the, you know, very unique personalized offers and marketing yeah. that you get on your app. Uh, we we decided that we're going to focus on making that kind of a capability set available to any consumer brand whether it be a retail or a restaurant company and we knew how to do it because we knew how starbucks went about doing it and we understood that that was not something that was easy to do but that meant we had to shut down the rest of what itza was doing we had to rename the company Brightloom, and we needed to basically like not just transform the culture but because we, we were transforming the entire business plan and that was that's been an that was interesting so i we, we went through that and that I didn't I kind of I almost would be honest with you and say, I I was like, wow, I, I here's what I want us to be thinking about, here's what I want our culture to be. But um I I probably should have stepped back a little bit better and and said, Oh, I gotta bring bring everyone along. And by the way, doing that through great ambiguity, I mean, we didn't know exactly how we were gonna do it. We we were akin to a I'll call it like a Y combinator you know, startup in terms of like how far along we were in our thinking and whatever, we had great vision, but we were in, but we had a team in place. We had people in place. So that's an interesting combination because a lot of ambiguity at first. I mean, we've gotten a lot clearer now, but it was was, was, a lot of
0: ambiguity at first. The cool part about your whole career is that there is, I'm sure you realize this, that you kind of getting like brought along and recruited by people that you know. Um, The part that I didn't address that I completely like skipped over was this, this part on your, Resume. I don't even know if you would call it like a hiccup or a cool, awesome, explosive experience. But like, you left. You went to New York. You worked for J. Crew. I remember reading about that when that happened. Yeah. Um, I kind of skipped over all that because I was so excited to talk about Brightloom. But like, tell me about that. Like, what was that about?
1: That was. um, But that was great experience for me, and and it was. we 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 wanted an adventure. Like we signed up, my family and I, meaning my wife and I and my, my daughter was one. So she just went along for the ride, but we <laughs> signed up for an adventure. And we said, we've lived in Seattle our whole life. Our daughter's one. Uh, if, there's ever, if not now, of,
0: when? Yeah. yeah
1: and we It was a bucket list for both Carrie and I that we wanted to live, try living in New York. I mean, it was like, let's try it. And so like, let's, but let's set it up to where, you know, we can, there's an off ramp. If we don't like it, we can go back to Seattle or whatever. So we, we just, we kept our stuff in Seattle and we got a place in New York and I took the job as chief experience officer and president of J crew. And, um, we, and we went for it and it was a new industry. Uh, yes, I was in charge of amongst other things, a bunch of stuff that I, I had experience in, which is digital and operations, but not in the retail fashion area. And yes, my Your family and my family has a long history in retail apparel, but I'd never actually been an executive in any sort of meaningful way in that space. And so it was like new industry, new town, let's do the bucket list. And-
0: Where did you live?
1: We lived in Brooklyn in- Oh,
0: nice, very New York.
1: In the Fort Greene area. And and we, uh, we, we just went for it. And within three months, I was like, oh boy, this is not for me. Like meaning th- this is my wilderness period. I-, I immediately could tell I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. Maybe it's cause I was a little too old being in, you know, being thrown into Brooklyn and taking the subway and um, trying to learn a new industry that was going through at a company that had enough challenges as it was. And, um, and then you know, my wife and I, and she felt the same way. I like, we're like, no, Brooklyn isn't for us. And Brooklyn's awesome, by the way. I love Brooklyn. And when we go back to New York, since then, uh, I go back to you know the neighborhood we were in, and like, it was, it's neat. I liked it. It just, it's just for us. I don't. I just don't think we we we, we signed up for it.
0: Yeah, you may have liked it in your twenties when you were single, and I mean that's when I moved there in my twenties yeah. and being single, and yeah. just the energy. The minute I got there, I was like in love and
1: that's why we tried, wanted to try it because we love the energy we love yeah and we love new york like
0: yeah living there living there and visiting are different though
1: it was was tough and 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 we were um yeah that's right with it with a child
0: it's a it's a whole thing with kids. it was
1: tougher and you know and work work was tough and interesting i mean i enjoyed what i did great people there uh, enjoyed what I did, but it was going through its struggles. but
0: another it. iconic leader, Mickey drexler i mean you've yeah. worked you've worked with and for side by side with incredible leaders that i'm uh just in awe of
1: yeah I, are I, there I, any
0: that you would just like put on your list of like I would just kill to be alongside don't say Elon Musk everyone says <laughs> no I mean no everyone
1: says him no, I mean it's um I got a chance there I loved my, I was exposed to Jack Dorsey at Twitter Mm. and Square when Starbucks uh, was heavily involved with both of his companies. And um, he's somebody who I just tremendously admire and, um, you know, would have loved to have worked for either one of his companies. Just, I just really like how he operates and thinks. And I love both those companies, frankly. And then, um, uh, and you mentioned it, you know, Jeff Bezos is somebody who I would love to you know would have loved to or would love to have exposure to um so i mean those are those are the the folks that stick out you know yeah mark benioff at salesforce is someone else yeah. who I, I admire tremendously and i don't i don't these are people who i i don't know i've never met jeff bezos or mark benioff um yeah personally but th- those are some of the leaders that come about. i
0: don't know jeff bezos i know mark very well actually totally randomly he's he's my friend who you know, I met him when he was at Oracle and, um, you know, I've traveled with him and been really close with him. And he is one of these people that is just talk about a visionary. Yeah. I mean, he was picturing Salesforce, you know, the growth. I don't know that he thought it would come to where it has come, but he had big ideas for Salesforce early on. So yeah, he's he's a good one.
1: Yeah. He's he he's he's on top of my list
0: yeah oh well i'm happy to introduce you if that makes yeah, sense thanks. so tell me about brightloom like um the actual business model now and how this period of covid has impacted the business
1: yeah so what what, what we're tackling at brightloom is the fact that if you're a brand it doesn't matter if you're retail or restaurant to be honest uh, we, we focus on restaurants just because of certain factors that were pre-existing but the truth is if you're a brand of any kind that has digital relationships with your customers, what I mean by the ability to email them or send them a push notification, maybe they've got a loyalty account or they do online ordering with you or e commerce with you, which I've just described basically every consumer brand today. If you've got digital relationships and you've got data on your customers, so are you using that data to market to your own customers in a very personalized way? And the answer for most brands is no. The answer for and now it's ridiculous that that's the case because the capability set is there for every brand. I don't, you don't just, you don't need to just be on Salesforce or have Oracle or all these fancy tools that are out there. Like there's a lot of companies that do allow you to use your data to market to your customers in a certain way. But for some reason, most don't. And the reason why is because it's really complicated it, to actually get your data organized and um, be able to, access it and analyze it and use it in a way that you can mark you can send messages and offers to your customers that are personalized which is what the customer wants because it makes them feel known and understood and they get relevant messages and it's better for the business because it's going to if you can tailor the message it's more likely to have an impact um and you can and you can minimize the amount of discounts you need to offer etc but most people aren't doing it so bright loom i think i think we know why we think we have an answer for that which is to bring the fancy answer is to bring artificial intelligence to the table and automate the entire process using computers and predictive models in order to basically take that data in and create smart segments that cover your entire customer base and allow you to offer a personalization engine. That is, that is an, 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 as a, at its essence, what Brightloom does. And we've built a platform with a team of data scientists and data engineers that makes it really easy for any brand to just Get us their basic transaction history data and step back and watch as we just produce on this amazing we let our let our artificial intelligence, let our models, let our software go to work, and we produce just the right messages and offers that you should be sending to every one of your customers and 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 make it easy for you to do that. So that's what Bright that is the vision and the opportunity for Bright Loom and what we bring to the market that's unique because no one else is. Taking that AI-led approach to data-driven marketing in our space,
0: I think it's amazing. And so, what is what is the kind of challenge right now? Is it acquiring customers? Because I'm a, I'm the connector person who's like, oh, I want to introduce them to this. This oh, yeah. we probably already have them all as customers, or like maybe not. Well,
1: no, no, no. We no we we so and and I'll tie it back to your COVID question. So it's interesting how when we got to the beginning of this year, um, in fact, I'm doing an all hands. Meeting with my company on Zoom, which we do every Friday. Uh, I'm doing one tonight and or this afternoon, and kind of doing a retrospective um, because of the holidays that are coming up. And I can't, this is, I'm sure everybody's doing this. Like, if you think about like, where were we on this date last year? Um, which is, it seems like it's it seems like it was a minute, and it seems like it was ten years ago at the same time. And it's like we were, we had, we had not yet formally decided to focus on just this marketing and data problem. We had actually, we were still, you know, essentially for all intents and purposes, still ETSA, the restaurant technology company. We had all the, we had a Starbucks license and a deal. And we had a, we had the ETSA technology and we were like, what do we want to be? And how do we want to do this? This is too many things we need to focus and we need to figure this out. And, um, and so we decided in december and january essentially around the holidays and the beginning of the year to focus on this opportunity to pioneer you know ai driven marketing in the in the consumer brand space and we uh so we, we were like okay let's do that and we put a business plan together and presented it to our board of directors and to our company and we and we basically got focused in january and february of last year based on this and then the pandemic hit and um, we were lucky in a way because we had just decided like, let's go spend three to six months building out our platform and hiring a team. And, um, the, the, now we wanted to build the plane while we were flying. I mean, we wanted to get real customers to use us, even though we hadn't built the product entirely yet. So mm-hmm. we set about hiring, signing up pilots, like free pilots at first and saying, look, can you, and we signed up. Right now, today, we have 27 brands on our platform, and uh, it's not 100, but it's 27, and they're big brands. So when they're,
0: you say brands, okay, so big brands of yeah, they're okay. like they're like national, they're
1: like national chains or regional chains of either restaurants or retailers primarily. Some couple of pure e-commerce companies as well. So that's what I mean, and it's there. Some of them are. Um, you
0: know, it's kind of cool for them, though, because I've done that beta testing for tech startups who may want to be in our space of testing out some sort of yeah. talent acquisition platform or something. And the cool part about it as a customer is that they can give you real time feedback and you can tweak it if it if it works for your business.
1: Yeah, and that that's the stage we're in right now. So so, you know, you have a situation where But when the pandemic hit, though, I'll be honest, it. It was, it, was both the, it was both great timing and terrible timing for us because like everybody in some senses, we were in the right space at the right time. Let, hey, we're in digital. We're, we're, we're going to help companies be able to leverage the d- data they've got on their digital customers. And that was exploding and it still is. That's a great thing. And we were also had good timing because we're, we needed to go build our platform and hire our team at a time where it was more about that than it was about revenues or hire, uh, bringing on customers. Mm-hmm. And so what a good time to like put our heads down and work since we, our customer, but, but our customers were in survival mode. A lot of them. I mean, well, that's was,
0: what I was going to say. My friends who own restaurants, even restaurant chains. Yeah. Those guys were freaking out. Terrified and, and terrified, terrifying. Yeah. you know, all, and it, you know, it's an industry that got crushed.
1: Yeah. It, it, and still and retail,
0: I mean, retail yeah, crushed,
1: both. Both. but,
0: but the digital experience is crucial.
1: Correct. You know? So that's what I mean. It was like, it was mixed feelings on on everybody's part mixed situation well, it's kind so, of
0: like their 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 heads or their hands whatever it's called it they're up against a wall because it's like you don't really have a choice you have to get on board with this digital strategy and yeah. an analysis around your customers or you're going to be out of business
1: correct <laughs> and we, we 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 and we feel like we've we chose the right path too because had we decided to offer loyalty services or ordering services and then the pandemic hit but everybody just got on whatever loyalty or ordering capability there was, but you can't go to a store or restaurant today that doesn't have what they need in terms of those things, but they don't use digital. They do not use data for their digital marketing right now. Not really. And so we're still on the right path. We have 27 brands that are on there. And mm-hmm. you know, we as a company went to being a virtual workplace at the same time.
0: Which, and where, where are you guys based like officially? Where's HQ? Officially here?
1: Officially Seattle now. We, we were in San Francisco officially. We moved the official office to Seattle. But, you know, that was almost more academic than practical because uh, we did so at the time that we went virtual. So we decided, we decided actually to be, I'll call it kind of permanent or semi-permanent, virtual distributed workforce. Um,
0: It's going to be an interesting whole other set of questions and challenges around culture and talent acquisition and how you retain people. And yeah,
1: I agree. It's been, I'd say like everything else, it's had its pros and cons. I mean, we didn't have a choice. I mean, We weren't going to put people in an office um, together for, we knew we were like a year away from that. But
0: you can have my office space. (laughs) Mine's on Fifth and Union and it's just like, it's so sad downtown right now. And I'm sitting on this office space and I'm super conflicted because we're doing great working remotely. And who knew? I always was very about FaceTime. Yeah. And I felt that I had to see it and touch it and feel it to get it. And I'm like, we're doing fine. We're, I mean, I'd love to see you in person, but like, this is yeah. fine. Yeah. You
1: know, th- so what I'd say about that is that <laughs> at least from our, our experience, and you're right, we've been very productive, um, uh, more than you could ever imagine. I mean, can, can you imagine like, I'm, I'm, you know, in fact, I was asking, I was asking my, uh, um, my team, you know, how many people have we hired? Remember, we were putting our team together. So essentially, like you know, a third of the company has been hired. I've never been in the same room as a third of the people that work for us, right? So
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing thing to think about. I mean, you know, we have 53 people working for us, and I think you know, approximately uh, 17 or whatever have been hired since the pandemic started. And um, wow! And so it, it, what's good is that we can be productive when we're virtual, and we're a software company, or you know, software as a service, cloud-based software, we can do it like yeah. everybody else. But, you know,
0: it gets in the way. Um, it's tough, I mean, especially because you're trying to innovate. I've got a services business. Yeah. Much easier to be virtual. Yeah, we're,
1: we 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 as a company have a long way to go still uh, to, you know, make sure that we're listening to each other, to make sure that we're collaborating in, in, in certain ways, that, I mean, which is weird because the technical tools for communicating and working together and collaborating have never been more used in, in, and are there. But there's something... You can tell that we're, sometimes we're talking past each other. We're, we're still not, you know, even for a little company, we can have silos. You know, we're not firing all cylinders. And I don't think it's just because we're remote. I think there's cultural and management issues that we need to work on. I think so it's not an excuse. I think being remote doesn't help.
0: Being Stop. remote, being remote is tough and there's there's tons of conversations happening around it. Not almost all my clients, that's kind of a big part of what we're focusing on. Yeah. Um, and what you said, 17 people. I mean, how do you make them feel that stickiness where they're not recruitable to just get a call and be like, ah, I'm either yeah. at Bright Loom or some other company? I'm either yeah. I have to be like, I mean, touching the product, feeling valued, all this stuff.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we, you know, it, it cuts both ways. You know, we we can We've told our employees, like, look, if you want to live somewhere in San Seattle, it's okay. You know, in other words, you can, we will get an office again when it's safe to do so. And, but the difference is we won't require people to come to the office. We won't have, people won't have their own little offices anymore. Like, mm-hmm. like those things aren't going to happen. Like we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to evolve from here and we will get back together. And we'll try yeah. to, we'll try to, you know, take it, we'll try to have the best of both worlds when it's safe to do so
0: yeah tell me about this deal I read about with Pizza Hut
1: oh that's that's um
0: is that still happening?
1: Yes and no that's actually though that was back we did a deal with Pizza Hut back on on the cubby the digital cubbies that we have, oh Arnold, when you originally yeah so that we did that and there's actually one of the one of the cubbies one of our you know cubby systems live in a pizza hut in California but we we've actually transitioned out of that business. And actually, they're, they're, you know, we found another company that's sort of in the cubby business that um, has licensed our technology is going to take that over. So we, we, but that's not right now. That's, that's not, not what you're focused that's on. That's not one of the 27 brands. So, okay, I was thinking
0: when you said 27 brands, I'm like, no. getting some of these big name brands, I'm like, that's hard yeah. to do. That's yeah, awesome.
1: no, we are. If you saw our list of brands, you'd be impressed. It, it's a yeah. good list. I'm not but surprised. It, but it's, but it's, um, but we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. And so what are your long-term goals for the business? Like, and, you know, I guess I'm always curious, like, do you feel successful? And if not, when will you say like, I feel successful?
1: Yeah, we definitely are not in a place where we would say we feel successful. Not, not because we haven't, we're proud of the product we've built and the pilots we've got and the process we're on and whatnot, but no, we're not there yet. We, we, we are, um, I mean, hopefully our goal is by next spring. That we can say we feel like we are have our first modicum of success. Our goal is mm-hmm. like let's get enough paying customers and enough momentum. Yeah, right.
0: The beta testers are going to say, yeah. "I need this. I can't live without it." And look Correct. at the measurement of what it's done to my business.
1: That's right. So that's the yeah. mode we're in right now, and we're making great progress on that. You know, some of our accounts have already started to flip into being paid, and um, you know, we're getting good feedback. But we're still learning. You know, we're at a stage right now where we have the 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 gift, you always talk about like, you know, feedback's a gift. You know, we are getting feedback. I mean, we, we had to make some changes to what we did and we made those changes and the customers seem happy with those. And they've actually, they've been attracted to certain things that we, we were like, we didn't think that was that interesting and they love it. And so you're starting to learn like what's working, what's not working, making adjustments. And that's where we're at now. And then where do we want to be in 10 years from now? You know, we, I'm convinced that. In ten years from now, you know, Brightloom will be considered a leader in data-driven marketing. Like, and specifically, they'll talk about, "Wow! Like, if you want to use your data to connect with your customers and grow your business, and it, Brightloom is the company that does it the best." That, yeah. that is, that is there, There's no one right now, in my opinion, that is can say that, and and I think there's a huge opportunity for us to be the leader in that space.
0: Yeah. Well, it's exciting. I, I know that you will, and I'm excited to watch your success. So aside from Fortnite, um, how are you like taking care of yourself, finding time to relax?
1: Yeah, we have, uh, we like, we got a Peloton recently. I like that.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll follow you. Send me your, uh, your oh, yeah. I love the that's, Peloton.
1: Yeah. So that I, I find that's interesting. Um, going, you know, we're temporarily here in Santa Barbara, California area. And so there's a lot of hiking I've been trying to do, which is really cool here. Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, I miss my sports. Uh, there's not, I there's know. sports on, but it's just been such a weird It's not year. the
0: same, I know. Yeah. We bought season tickets for uh, the Kraken team, I don't even know anything about hockey, but I was like, well, that sounds fun and exciting. And yeah, but now I'm like, well, I don't even know if that's ever going to happen. It's just a crazy time right now, completely. And so you, um, you know, we talked about some of these tools that people are using because it's a new day at work, you know, all the business tools and how, how do you um, like, I guess, what are the apps that you're depending on or or the productivity hacks?
1: Well, Zoom, Zoom, of course, uh, like everybody else is, you know, they have, everyone uses like Zoom or Teams or whatever. So um, Zoom is important. The, um, we're, our company uses all the Google cloud tools. So we use Google Docs and of course we use Slack as well. So we have Slack and then we have the Google suite of um, tools like email and um, Docs and slides. And so it, we we do use those pretty pretty well, uh, you know all those tools. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, and how about,
0: and how about you personally? Just to like Monday morning, you're like, I better have a kick ass week. Besides ordering your Starbucks, what else are you using to? It doesn't have to be an app. It just could be like, you know, how do you set yourself up to make sure it's a productive and ah, good week? Um. So I, I'll t- I. <laughs>
1: it probably drives my team crazy. But what I do, I've started doing this thing that I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I generally speaking on the weekends, I will write down my thoughts about the company and where, where we are and where we're going. Cause the truth of the matter is especially particularly as a startup, but I bet this is true. I bet you that Mark Benioff and Howard Schultz will say, this will never end. Like you're always at a place as a CEO in particular where you are, taking stock of where, where am I? Like, where, where, where did we just come from and where are we going? And what is my view of the world right now? And how is that different than last week and the week before? And, you know, I, I tend to just write it down and send it to my team. Um, and I do it on an email. I don't do it on a Google docs. I'll be honest. I'm old school about like, I get it. I, I, I can't take all the notifications and all the comments. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. The so I I do that's to me that's what I do. I tend to write write my thoughts down, you know, over the weekend for my team. And then the biggest thing I'm doing is, frankly, in making sure that the team is driving that week on the most important things that are on my mind. And it's not. It's really important that you don't thrash the team. So it can't be. It can't be some new shiny object. It's got to be. A problem that we're just muscling through to solve, and um, and and kind of how how are we feeling about that? What are we learning from our customers? Like what are, what are our, what is our sales organization telling us on behalf of our customers that we need to be doing better mm-hmm. about our product or our services or our strategy? And so it's it's a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great method. I mean, everybody's got their own little thing of how they work, and yeah. That one sounds like a good one. So my ultimate question, because I know I need to let you go. We're both cutting it tight, like cruising into yeah. our next meeting. Um, and I want to, I'm going to send you an email after, because I, I have a few follow-up questions. But um, yeah. I'm just curious, like your ultimate fuel, like what fuels you, what gets you out of bed? What's your legacy? That's a big one.
1: Yeah. You know, I would say I I want to, I want to continue to build things that actually – um matter to people like it, you know so it's um i want to help people too so i want it both so in other words i feel and i actually link them together so if i can do anything you know if we can if we can build great companies build great products that matter and solve real problems in the world then and there's trust me i'm not doing it it's my team that's doing it so if i can give credit where credit's due and help people in their careers while we're building these great things that these, these leaders and these team, these team players are actually the ones doing the work. Then I, I love, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's my fuel. Like I, that, I just want to, that's my way of putting a little debt in the universe.
0: I love it. I'm wishing you good luck. I can't wait to watch Brightloom continue to crush it. And you continue to crush it personally. So hi to Carrie and um, happy everything. Happy holidays, happy safety and lots of love.
1: You too. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast@fueltalent.com at to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.